can turn to Mark chapter 6, if you will, Mark chapter number 6, and a great music team this morning, and uh, I love coming into church, uh, leaving everything that we dealt with this past week out there, out there. Say, Pastor, I'm still dealing with stuff. It'll wait on you. But coming in here where all of the attention and focus is not on our stuff, but rather it's on Jesus. Why? Because he's holy, holy, holy. You know, and you think about the fact that we don't deserve to be in his presence, y'all. The fact that he allows us entrance into his presence. And the fact that he is our hope in life and death. And then he is a wonderful, merciful Savior. You, you get the theme? He, he, him, him, Jesus. Uh, what a beautiful name he has. Uh, his, his name is Jesus. Uh, think about him, 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 him. Almost like all of the focus is on him. As it should be. And you think about when we get to Mark chapter number 6 in our series. Think about this. Have you ever done everything right Let's think about, have you ever done everything right by the book, at least in your own mind? Hey, I've checked, Pastor, I've checked all the boxes, and I've done all the right things, and I've said all the right things, and man, I've had a good week, and uh, it's Sunday, Pastor, don't mess it up, you know? Uh, but it, it, we've done everything right by the book, and everything goes horribly wrong. You ever had one of those weeks where you feel like, man, I survived, and I did everything right? You know, uh, Pastor, everything's going to be good. You know, er, no, Pastor can't get on me this week because I did everything right. But then everything goes horribly wrong because you did everything right. That's what we see in Mark chapter number 6. Uh, remember the guy who did everything and said everything, uh, prepared the way for the Lord? Uh, John chapter 1, hey, I'm, I'm just the forerunner. I'm just the one who's speaking the things, preparing the way for one who's going to come after me, whose shoe I'm not worthy to even unlasten. Uh, un, unfasten, uh, un, unlatch. I'm not worthy to do that. John the Baptist did everything right and died for it. Everything right. And we might look at that and say, that's just not fair. But when we think about why would God ask someone to do all these things and give up their life for doing what he said? I would suggest that that's not what God asks, that's what He expects. For us to give up our lives and do what He says. That's where we see in Mark chapter number 6. And we have to ask ourselves the question, have I given up my life for what He said? Have I given Him back the life that He has given to me, that He's entrusted with me, Am I giving it back to him? Mark chapter number 6 and verse number 14 is where we're going to be this morning. And we see this story of John the Baptist. And it's been a while since we've seen him mentioned. But at this point, he's already been executed. 
It's already been carried out, but we kind of get the backstory of how it took place. Mark 6, verse 14, And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works to show forth themselves in him. Others said that it's, it's Elias, and others said it's a prophet or it's one of the prophets. And, but when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John, but here it is, whom I beheaded. It's the same guy. Uh, Didn't we get rid of him? Uh, Didn't we silence him once and for all? I I saw the head on a charger. I know that we executed him. I know we did. But he's alive again. Verse 17, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee. To have thy brother's wife. What did John do? He spoke the truth. Did what God asked him to do. What was the consequence? Execution. Did everything right. Everything God told him to do. Everything checked the box. And John gave up his life. You realize that you can do everything right and still have hardship? Do you realize you can do everything right, everything the Bible says, and still face persecution? It seems like there's a verse about that. Now, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall, will suffer persecution. So this morning, I want us to look at the untimely, unlikely death of John the Baptist and ask ourselves if we're willing to give up our life for his. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word and Thank you for the challenges that we see in your word that are directed at us, your people. Lord, help us to search our hearts and reflect as throughout the course of this message and see how this passage applies to us. Lord, we know that your word says that you long to have us follow you. You expect us to fall in line and follow you. Lord, help us to do that even knowing what that costs. There is a cross involved. Lord, I ask that you please help us to follow you, knowing what it costs. Lord, please speak to my heart. Cleanse me of any sin unconfessed. and Help me to be clean as I preach your word this morning to your people. And if there's one who doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they're not actively following you. They don't know what that means, whether in the room or watching online. Lord, help them to see their spiritual need today. Please draw us to the cross today. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down, number one, the resemblance. The resemblance. You think about John's story, and you see Herod is looking at John and hearing all of these things about this miracle worker. And he believed, hey, everything this guy is doing reminds me of John. It it must be John. And we see, number one, what was shared about what's going on. All of these mighty deeds that are taking place. Everything that's his name, verse 14, is spread abroad. Uh, These mighty works to show forth themselves in him. News travels fast even without Facebook. Even without social media. Even without the news channels. Herod hears about all the disciples and Jesus and what he's doing in verse number 13. It says, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. We know that Jesus' travels were legendary, and everywhere he went, he was doing something spectacular. 
Luke even said in the book of Acts chapter 10 verse 38, and it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. How'd you like to have that testimony? Everywhere you go, you're doing good. Uh, it went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Uh, see, Jesus did amazing things and along the way, he brought people along with him. He brought all these people to see what he was doing and then in turn share what he was doing with other people. That sounds an awful lot like discipleship. Uh, Mark Dever said about discipleship, really the how of discipling is not that complicated. It's about doing life together with other people as you all journey toward Christ. We make friends and then walk them in a Christward direction. That's discipleship. That's getting people along. But the question is, are you bringing anyone along? Can you look at your life, your story right now and see somebody else following Jesus because of you? Can you see someone else that God has put in your path, in your life, that you're bringing along on this spiritual journey with Jesus? Do you have somebody like that? And if you don't, maybe your response today is to ask Jesus, Lord, show me that person. Whether you're older or younger, all of us have someone that we can lead along the way in our journey with Jesus. Uh, see, our age has nothing to do with, oh, pastor, you know, I don't have good health. That means absolutely nothing when it comes to following Jesus. You can still impact someone else and bring someone else along on this spiritual journey with Jesus. We see what was shared, but then number two in verse 16, we see what was suspected. What was suspected? We've already mentioned the fact that some said this teacher was Elias or Elijah, and others said it's just a prophet. One of the former prophets from the Old Testament, uh, one of the prophets, but when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John. It has to be John. It has to be him. Who else could do all these things? Remember, John had a reputation for standing out in a crowd. He had that reputation. Remember what it said about him in Mark chapter 1, verse 6, and John was clothed with camel's hair. I'm sure that was nice and soft. Camel's hair. And with a girdle of skin about his loins. This, this is the guy that if you were leading your children and you saw John from a distance, you would tell your kids, look the other way. Look the other way. Don't pay attention to that crazy person. You know, just, just keep walking. Uh, but, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Mm, num, 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 num. Sounds like a great diet. Imagine John saying, hey, let's go to lunch together. No, thank you. He wasn't like anybody else. And maybe this Jesus guy was actually John resurrected. Maybe that's what John's calling himself now. You know, he did say, you know, make way the, the path of the Lord and uh, Jesus means salvation. So maybe this is Jesus. John had not done miracles before, but maybe if he was alive again and he's resurrected, maybe that's something he's doing now. You think about the fact that Herod lived with this ghost in his past. And he admits in verse number 16 that he was there, that ghost in his past, because of Herod's actions. You know, think about the interesting thing about our past is that you and I can't change it. We can't change our past. You can't change what you did in high school or college. You can't change or undo a relationship mistake that you made earlier on. And you can't say, Pastor, I'm sitting next to them. Uh, you can't do that. 
You can't correct a failure that has your name on it. You can't correct those things, but you don't have to repeat them either. You don't have to repeat those failures and repeat the cycle of failure. Billy Graham said, don't be bound by the past and its failures, but don't forget its lessons either. We need to remember the past. So many of us try and forget the past, drown out our past, and all these other things. I just don't want to go back there. But the past helps propel us in the future and shows us things. Hey, I don't want to go back there and repeat those failures. Therefore, I don't want to live there. How many times have we seen parents who are trying to relive their childhood through their kids? Oh man, I didn't make it on the sports team, so my little kid is going to make it. I, I, I didn't have anything growing up, so therefore I want to give my kids everything growing up. Hey, sometimes the past and what we lived through actually helped us. Sometimes the past and the experiences that we lived through actually made us who we are today. Have you ever seen a cocoon, like a butterfly? A chrysalis or a cocoon or something. You ever hear the story about the man who saw that butterfly struggling coming out of the cocoon? And he said, you know what, I want to help that, that butterfly make its way out of the cocoon. So he went and got a pair of scissors and he snipped open that cocoon. What he didn't realize is that butterfly on the way out of its cocoon, as it's struggling trying to get out, what's happening is it's actually strengthening the wings of that butterfly. And when that butterfly came out of that cocoon, that butterfly never flew because that man made it easy and removed the struggle. Well, pastor, man, I I just wish I didn't have all these problems in my life. I wish I didn't have all this pain in my life, a part of my story. I wish I didn't have all these struggles that I face every single day. Pastor, can you please pray for me that God will take them away? No. No. We need to pray that God will give us strength in the struggle. That God will give us something that we can look to. Count it all joy when you face diverse temptations. Why? Knowing this, that the trial of our faith worketh patience. When I struggle, there's progress because of the struggle. It happens that way, and that's how God wills it to be. We see the resemblance and how he resembled John. He wasn't John. And John even said, hey, I'm not him. I'm not the one. But we see, number two, we see the resolve. Verse 17 through 23. Here we see the narrative switch back to before John's death. And we see the story leading up to his death. We see, number one, the boldness mentioned in verse 17 and 18. And if you had to describe John's character... One of the top things on the list would have to be boldness. Have to be. Didn't care what people thought. Didn't care who he spoke to. He said exactly what was on his mind. And he was in prison because he spoke the truth. You see this backstory. Herod was married to the daughter of King Aretas IV from Arabia. While he was married to this princess, he caught the glance of his brother Philip's wife, whose name was Herodias. He caught the glimpse of her. and So in that process, Herod comes up with this brilliant idea to divorce his own wife, 
to convince Herodias to divorce her husband, who was Herod's brother. That made Thanksgivings awesome, I'm sure. And in doing so, Herod and Herodias married each other. They became one big happy family. The problem was it was forbidden by law, by Jewish law, for this to happen. Leviticus 18 and 20 strictly forbid this. So what does John do? John, who is bold and doesn't really care what people think, John calls him on it. And Herod is in the wrong and needed someone to speak truth to him. He says in verse number 18, For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee. To have thy brother's wife. Put the morality and the ethics aside. This is illegal, Herod. Now let's also quantify that. And remember, Herod wasn't just some dude on the street. Herod is the king. So what does Herod do? He responds the way you would expect a godless man to respond. Hey, thank you for your input. Go to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go to jail. And that's what happens. But there is no excuse for sin and somebody has got to speak out. Somebody has to speak the truth. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Say something. Uh, Proverbs 31, verse 9, open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. We have to be willing to call sin what it is. Now that doesn't mean that we have to be mean and nasty about it, but we have to speak the truth. We have to declare what sin is. Be willing to call it what it is. You know, one way we do that as the church is we vote. Y'all do know we have an election this year, right? We have state elections this year coming up in a couple weeks. You see, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Jesus' name is not on the ballot, but righteousness will be. Righteousness will be on the ballot, and it matters. Hey, 30% of evangelical believers in our state are registered to vote. Yikes. That means that 70% of people, for one reason or another, have said, it's no use, I don't care, it doesn't matter anyway. For one reason or another, 70% of people in church today are saying it doesn't matter. Hey, can I just remind all of us? It matters a whole lot. It matters a whole lot. Hey, we, it is so simple to vote. Early voting, absentee voting, showing up on the day of. Say, oh, pastor, the system's rigged. We might think that, but it still doesn't excuse our involvement by showing up to vote. Vote. Say, how can we stand for truth if we won't vote for it? How can we say that we're, man, we're Bible-believing. Man, we're, we're going to make a change. One way we do that is to vote. We see not only do we see the boldness that he had, we see the bitterness that somebody else had. Verse number 19, enter the woman. A woman scorned. Look at verse 19. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him. That's a nice phrase. Had a quarrel against him. 
And here's how she quantifies it. Would have killed him. Wow. Talking about boldness. That's not just a little tiff. If I could do it, I would kill that guy. No, don't say that about your husband, please. But while Herod might have feared John, we see that at the end of verse number 18, or verse number 17, we think about, or verse 20, excuse me, we see that Herodias is furious with him. Uh, the Greek word used here for quarrel is the word aneko, which means to be entangled with, to struggle with. It's the same word found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1 when Paul said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. She heard his name mentioned, and immediately her stomach was in knots. Ah, infuriated by this guy. This is a modern-day Jezebel. And while she hated John, she couldn't do anything about it. Why? She wasn't the king. She didn't have the authority. But here's the truth of the matter, and this is where I want us to park for just a minute. While she couldn't do anything, she was waiting for the right moment to strike. You know, just because you're not in a battle right now doesn't mean that the enemy is not strategizing how to get to you. Oh, pastor, my life's wonderful, and God is so good. I mean, I don't have a care in the world, and I don't have any enemies. You better watch what you say, because the devil is listening. Think about our life, and if you're not in a storm, you're either just coming out of one or getting ready to go into one. That's the way our lives are. 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse number 8 says, Be sober, be aware, be alert, be awake, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And can I just be honest with you? If you name the name of Christ this morning, he is out for you. Say, so Pastor, how do you know that? Because contrary to popular belief, the devil is not our friend. And he hates you with every fiber in his being. And he wants to destroy you. Say, Pastor, can he really end my life? Not unless God allows it. But he wants to disrupt your life. He wants to destroy your integrity, your testimony, your ability to minister to other people. Hey, leading people along puts a target on your back. Say, Pastor, then why do we do it? Because he commands it. He commands it. Hey, just because you're not in a battle right now doesn't mean that he's not strategizing. How can I get to them? How can I destroy them? Paul said in Acts 20, verse 28 and 29, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Hey, check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's what he's saying. Check yourself. And you think about who he's talking to. Here he's talking to pastors. He's talking to ministry leaders. In Acts chapter 20, leaders of the church of Ephesus, one of the premier churches in the New Testament. And he says, take heed unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, Paul said, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. You know what's interesting about that? He said, they will enter in among you. 
he's looking at the leadership and saying, hey, some of you guys are going to wreak havoc on what God is trying to do. It doesn't matter what your title, what your position. You have the potential. You and I both have the potential to disrupt what God is doing. To disrupt what God is doing. Over the last three weeks, including today, we've seen nine thus far follow Christ in baptism. You think that makes Satan happy? You think he's like, man, I heard about what Crossroads is doing. Good job, church family. He hates that. We're going to see a couple at the end of the service follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That's 11 in four weeks. You think he likes that? Absolutely not. He hates that. It disrupts his plan. It disrupts his purpose. And so the fact of the matter that God is working, it ticks Satan off. But the fact of the matter is this. We can sit back and we can grumble and we can complain and we can not like what he's doing. And we can allow ourselves to disrupt what Satan's working, what he's doing, what Satan's trying to accomplish. We can disrupt what God wants to see done in our lives. We have that potential. I think about wolves when Paul talked about the wolf. Wolves will sometimes track their prey for miles. Chasing and hunting and waiting just for the right moment to strike. See, wolves are not interested in the element of surprise. They don't care. They're focused on endurance. They play the long game. Outlasting their prey. Wearing them down over time. See, Herodias knew exactly what she was doing. And by waiting, she outlasted Not John. She outlasted her husband. She outlasted Herod. She sat back and watched and waited. Waiting for the right, just like a wolf. Waiting for that right moment to strike. You know, can I just say right now, that's why we need the church. That's why we need each other. That's why it's so important to be in church. To be around other believers. Because a wolf focuses on one and does their best to separate them from the rest of the group. They can isolate them. Hey, if I can isolate you, I can destroy you. That's Satan's game. So pastor, you know, I can watch online. It is not the same. Well, pastor, I can listen to the podcast. It is not the same. Satan's key is isolation. And if he can get you by yourself, he can destroy your life. The Christian life was never meant to be lived solo. We were created for fellowship. How do you know that, Pastor? Because in the Garden of Eden, God creates Adam and Eve. Not for worship. He has angels that do that. He created Adam and Eve so that he could walk every day in the cool of the garden and fellowship. That's why we were created. And we don't just need fellowship with God, church. We need fellowship with each other. We need people speaking into our lives. Herodias was bitter at John for speaking the truth. And then we see the breakdown that's mentioned in verse 20 through 23. She waited, she schemed, and the day finally came. Ironically, Herod's birthday. Herod's birthday, verse 20, for Herod... Feared John, heard him gladly. Verse 21, it says, 
when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday, now I want you to look at the group. He made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. You say, Pastor, why is that important? Because what's getting ready to happen, you need to know the setting. This is Herod with all of his male friends. There's no women listed here. This is all dudes. This is all men. So what could a loving, caring, nurturing wife give her husband? You think, man, I cook him a good meal. I could do all these things. But what does a wicked, godless woman offer to her own husband? Verse 22. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him. This is unimaginable. This woman offers up her child to dance in front of these men. Now, I I don't know what your thought is, and it's not written here But what kind of a dancing would you assume that a woman does in front of other men or a girl does in front of other men and she gets paid at the end of it? This is not a holy dance. This is wrong. This is wicked. Never should a parent, and I just, never should a parent put their child in position where they're seen as a piece of meat or an object in the eyes of others. Amen. And I know we can make a case, well, you know, Pastor, men should keep their minds pure and, and they should make sure they check themselves on a regular basis. But this is the role of parents to not put their children in these situations. And that starts with a godly dad, dad. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4 singles us out as men. And ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's our responsibility, dads. Well, you know, she looks cute. I'm sure that's all that other guys think too. The problem is that most dads couldn't tell their daughters what to do because they're fantasizing about someone else's daughter. Do you realize that everybody involved in the porn industry Is somebody else's son or daughter? Somebody else's kid. There's a reason that pornography is a multi-billion dollar a year industry with a B. Billion. According to a 2014 Barna study, it's estimated that 64% of men who call themselves Christians view pornography at least once a month. At least once a month. No wonder we can't teach our kids how to have a pure mind. No wonder we can't tell our kids not to send mixed signals to their peers. No wonder we can't curb our thoughts. We can't keep our minds in check. We can't have a pure conversation with other men. Because we've got a dirty mind. The best advice you could ever hear regarding pornography... Stay away. Avoid the appearance of evil. If it looks bad, stay away from it. 
If it appears deceiving, deceitful, stay away from it. Keep your minds pure. Herod told this girl that she could have up to half of his kingdom because of what she had done. Sealed his fate with his words. Hey, we need to be careful what we say. Proverbs 13 verse 3. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. It matters what you say. Oh, pastor, it's just a joke. It matters what you say. We see the resemblance. John looked like, or this looked like John. Jesus looked like John. We see the resolve that's mentioned. And then lastly this morning, number three, we see the request. The request that is given. This girl has more sense than all the men in the room. You look at verse number 24. She goes and she asks a question. We see the potential that's mentioned. She goes and she asks a question. She could have been set for life. Half the kingdom. This is not just me, my little kingdom over here. Herod was powerful and influential. He could have, she could have had anything. But she has enough smarts to get advice. That sounds good. The problem is she went to the wrong source for advice. The potential, she says in verse number 24, what shall I ask? Who should she go to? This wicked, godly, godless woman who sets her up as a piece of meat. That's who she went to. Hey, mom, what should I ask for? And there was no hesitation. She waited for her moment, and here it is. What she asked for. And she said, the head of John the Baptist. That's what you want, honey. She put her daughter's future aside for her own personal agenda. Her own personal agenda. I'm going to put my daughter's future aside. Hey, moms and dads, your kids are more important than your agenda. Than your past. Then your little personal vendetta, how you settle the score. Don't throw your kids in the middle of the ring. And that's what she does. What's her mom tell her? Ask for a head. So think about this. The advice that you receive from others may cause someone else to lose their head. You know, remember Amnon? 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 4. And he said unto him, Why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? Remember the story, Amnon, the king's son, King David's son, goes and speaks to Jonadab, his subtle friend. What happens? The advice that he gets leads Amnon to sin. What did Jesus say? Matthew 18, verse 7, Woe unto the world but of, of, because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. Hey, we're going to encounter problems. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If you're the sponsor of that offense, you're consequence is greater than the person who does the deed. Be careful what you say. Be careful the advice that you get or you give to others. Not only do we see the potential, we see the plan. Verse 24 and 25, she said the head of John the Baptist and she came in verse 25 straightway with haste unto the king. Hey, I know what I want. I know what I want. She runs back in without hesitation. She says, I will that thou give me by and by. That means right now, on the spot. I know what I want and I know when I want it. Don't care how. I want it now. 
Some of y'all remember the movie. But think about the fact that this girl isn't, know, isn't old enough to know what she's asking for. She just does what her mom wants. Another great reminder that our kids, mom and dad, want to please us with their decisions. They want to please us. But make sure that when you point that arrow, you're pointing in the right direction. Psalm 127, verse 3 and 4. The Bible says, Lo, children are heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. You know that an arrow will only go in the direction that it's pointed? You don't point an arrow this way and it ends up that way. You think about a bow and arrow, and I borrowed my daughter's bow and arrow. It has unicorns on it. So you know it's not mine. Just wanted to clarify that. There was a question. You think about a target. John, come up here. Come like your life and your job depends on it. Uh, John is so excited to help with this illustration. All right? Yeah. That's right. You think about an arrow. When you pull an arrow, all right? Wes, stand up. See if I can hit Wes from right here. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You sit down, Wes. When you think about an arrow, hey, I'm not going to try and hit Wes by shooting in this direction. That's common sense, right? Okay? I'm not going to shoot and hit that target. Let's see if I can actually hit the target here. Hey! Let's do it again. Still a little farther back this time. Okay? John, I told y'all John is so excited with this illustration. Uh, let's see. Hey! Man, I still need to do it again. Uh, somebody out there in the audience wants John to get hit. I'm doing it for you. It's all about Jesus. And uh, for y'all. No, I'm kidding. I'm done. Uh, think about this. Hey, when we talk about bows and arrows and we talk about shooting arrows... The direction that we aim is the direction the arrow flies. When we talk about our children, they're as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. So when I pull back my arrow and I aim my arrow, it's going to go in the direction that it's pointed. Hey, mom and dad, if you want your kids to love Jesus, you make sure you point the arrow. If you want your kids to be consumed by sports, you point the arrow. If you want your kids to be consumed with the pursuit of things, I don't know why my kids are materialistic. I don't understand that. But yet we have everything we want and more. And we have everything that we don't need and more. And we don't understand why our kids are materialistic. Maybe it's because we are. Watch how you point the arrow. And if I want my kids to follow the Lord, I've got to aim the arrow. I've got to point the arrow thanks, John, in the right direction. So how are you pointing the arrows, moms and dads? When you think about the direction that your kids are flying, are you pointing the arrow in the right direction? Are you putting the right emphasis 
on the right things, are you pointing the arrow in the wrong direction? We see as bad as this request was, there was still a small glimmer of hope, and which leads us to the last thought this morning. We see the pride that's mentioned. Verse 26 through 29. What happens when morals are no longer a factor? What happens when a human life has no value? What happens when an unborn life is called a fetus instead of a baby? What happens when we don't value the principles of God's word as he said them and marriages are open and love is love? And it doesn't really matter. You know what happens then? We make it up as we see fit rather than what God's word says. It's, it's pretty simple, church. We just look to the Bible and see what God says. Hey, what does God say about marriage? What does God say about unborn life? What does God say about all of these issues? He's pretty plain and simple on what he thinks about things. And just so there's no confusion, he doesn't change. His opinion hasn't changed since it was written, and it won't ever change. We see in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, All scriptures give my inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man or woman of God may be perfect, mature, spiritually guided in their decisions. May be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. See, our opinion means nothing when it compared to God's word. Our opinion doesn't matter. But instead of morals, Herod chose the mindset of other people. Look at verse 26. And the king was exceeding sorry. Do you know that remorse is not the same as repentance? Oh, I'm so sorry that I got caught. Not sorry that he did wrong. He's exceeding sorry yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him. He would not reject her. You notice it doesn't say he could because he could do anything he wanted to. He was the king. He chose willfully to end John's life. Verse 27, and immediately the king sent an executioner, commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in the charger and gave it to the damsel. Here's your prize. You think she wanted that? What'd she do with it? And the damsel gave it to her mother. Here you go, mom. This is what you wanted. This is what you told me to ask for. You told me this is what? What a horrible thing to do to save face. Yet people do it all the time when it comes to following Jesus. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. See, when it comes to following Jesus, everybody wants the crown. And no one wants to carry the cross. But you can't have one without the other. We have to be willing to carry our cross. And that involves denying myself. What do you want, pastor? It doesn't matter what I want. What's best for you, pastor? What's best for your family? It doesn't matter. It ultimately comes back to what's best for him. 
Is this something that brings him glory? Is this something that exalts Jesus instead of self? Because at the end of the day, this life is not about me. And it's not about you. This life is all about him. The focus of our music, the focus of our message is all about Jesus. What does he want? What is his will for your life? His will for your life is to follow him. His will for your life is to trust him as your personal savior. That is his will for your life. And if you have not made that decision or any decision connected to him, you are not following Jesus. Following Jesus is a narrow path and it is easy to get distracted in the world that we live in. But at the end of the day, following Jesus is a personal decision. Just like Herod could have, but he didn't. Hey, church, you have the opportunity to follow Jesus. But will you? Will you follow Jesus? He has that beautiful name. Name above every name. But will you follow him? Every head bowed. Every eyes closed. Let me ask you real simply this morning. Are you following Jesus? That begins with a personal decision to trust Christ as your Savior. Have you made that decision? Has there been a time in your life where you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for yourself? Are you actively following Jesus because of that decision? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've not made that decision. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that involves. I'm unsure. I have a question. Whatever it is, have you made that decision to follow Jesus? If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've not done that. I don't know what that means. I'm not saved, born again. Whatever you want to label it. But I have not made the decision in my life to follow Jesus. Can I pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you, call you out, send somebody to talk to you. I just want to pray for you this morning. Pastor, I don't know that I'm actively following Jesus right now. I'm not sure. While no one's looking around, heads are bowed, and we're getting ready for this time of reflection and invitation, the way that I know who to pray for this morning is that you would simply slip up your hand, just long enough for me to see it, you can put it right back down, just so I know who to pray for. Maybe that's you and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm following Jesus. I don't know that I've made that decision for myself. Is that you? Would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor, please pray for me. I don't know that I'm following Jesus. Pray for me. That might be your life. That might be your story. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hands down. Maybe you say, hey, Pastor, I don't know that I've ever gotten that taken care of. I haven't raised my hand, but I'm going to raise it right now. I'm not sure that I've trusted Christ. I don't know that I'm following him. Is that you? I don't want to miss you. Several have already raised their hand. But maybe say, hey, Pastor, that's me. I haven't raised my hand yet, but I'll raise it right now. Pastor, pray for me. That's me. That's me. Let me ask you this. If he's spoken to your heart, will you respond to his calling? You don't have to do that by coming forward. We've got personal workers that will be down front in just a moment that would love to pray with you, talk to you. There's some behind you in the back. But would you simply, right there in your seat, Make a commitment to follow Jesus. That may be salvation. Recognizing that you're a sinner. All of us are born into sin, Romans chapter 3 tells us. And Jesus died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to face the penalty for our sin. And all that is necessary to receive salvation is to simply ask Him to forgive us and trust that He'll do what He said He'd do. That's what salvation is all about. You can do that right there in your seat. A simple prayer of faith, believing that He will hear and answer your prayer this morning. You can do it right there in your seat. 
But maybe your decision is, hey, I, Pastor, I've done that. I've taken that step. And I just don't know what my next one is. I don't know how I follow Jesus, continually follow Jesus. Maybe that's what you need. And maybe that's your decision today. I, I know that I'm saved. I know that I've trusted Christ as my personal Savior. But I don't know what's next. I don't know what my next step is. Hey, would you simply talk to the Lord? The team's going to sing in just a minute. and Just reflect on what am I doing? Am I following Jesus? And then ask Him to show it to you. There's a card on the seat back right in front of you. You can take that card and there's some options there of how you can follow Jesus. And man, you could check one of those off and say, I, I think I know what my next step is. I think it's this. And you can check. Put your name. We'll reach out and contact you. And pray with you and help you take that next step as you follow Jesus. This is a team effort, y'all. We're all called, compelled, commanded to follow Jesus. But the question is, are you? Are you following Jesus today? Father, please bless our time of invitation. Speak to our hearts. Help us to see you at work this morning. And help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are following Jesus. Lord, if there's several this morning that raise their hand, they're not sure. Lord, several raised their hand and said, hey, I have not made that step. I haven't taken that step. And I, I haven't given my life to the Lord. I haven't trusted Him as my personal Savior. Lord, please help them this morning to speak to you. Call them, draw them to yourself. And help them to make that decision today. No delay. Help them to make it this morning. Lord, for those who are still pondering, how do I follow you next? Lord, help them to pray and ask you to show them, direct them. And if we can help in that process, Lord, please allow us. And Lord, please give us the words to say to speak encouragement and hope to others. Lord, we sure do love you. Help us to be willing to lay down our lives to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand together. Pastor Tim, lead us in what a beautiful name it is. Let's sing together. If you need to come, talk to somebody. I'll be down front. Our personal workers are ready. Come talk to somebody. We'd be happy to help you take a step this morning in following Jesus today. Beautiful.